So, um, so tonight we're going to focus on the Ten Commandments, but I have a little video for you before we start. God willing, this works. Yes. Moses went to the mountain and God spoke up to him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. I definitely hear you. What? <laughs> oh Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! All hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these fifteen. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. Okay, so for those of you who have never seen that, that's a Mel Brooks movie. That's History of the World Part One. There is no History of the World Part Two. They only made a Part One. Uh, and that's, I love Mel Brooks. It's one of those, I like all his movies. After, before my father passed away, it's one of the things he gave me as a young man was the irreverence, non-politically correct movies of Mel Brooks. And I love them all. So there's so many good ones. So, okay. So tonight, Ten Commandments, I thought I'd show you that. Father Chris and I were talking about that today in the office. And I said, dude, I'm showing that to them, that, that scene from, from, um, if you've never seen it, it's funny, especially the Last Supper scene where he gets them, where Leonardo da Vinci comes in and tells them all, oh, no, I can't do this, I can only see your back, and he tells them to go all around, the, it's for the Last Supper, and he tells them to all go around the table, and then there's Mel Brooks as the server in the picture of the Last Supper, Leonardo, it's, it's good stuff, so... Okay, so human, so where we're going to focus on, before we get to the actual Ten Commandments, we're going to focus on human dignity, the natural law, and then we'll talk about how the old law and the Decalogue, which are the Ten Commandments, and then we'll kind of get into, um, so I'm going, to, I'm going to go over the first commandment with you, and I've given this talk before, but this is the first time I've used a PowerPoint for it too, so uh, I've given this three times, this talk, I think, yeah, it's been three times, this is the first time I've ever had a PowerPoint. So, uh, but it's just there to give you guys some notes as I, as I talk too. So human dignity. So morality begins, all morality begins with the respect of uh, every human being. Uh, respect means that we don't manipulate, humiliate, exploit, or be violent towards other human beings. Uh, human dignity is essentially that every person is a someone and not a something. Uh, we are not objects to be used. Um, that we so so we focus on how we are, uh, how we how we are someones and never 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 something. Using a person as an end would be using that person as an object. And Carol Wojtyla, Carol Wojtyla, you all know as Pope Saint John Paul II says in his book, Love and Responsibility, quote, not primarily a psychological problem, but one of ethics, for a person must not be merely the means to an end for another person. His whole first, there's a whole chapter in Love and Responsibility, which, which is a very difficult book to understand if you haven't studied philosophy, because John Paul II comes from very much so, very much a philosophical background. It's an excellent book, but it's hard to understand. But in the first chapter, and in the first section of the first chapter, he literally focuses on the verb to use for about 25 pages. He takes the verb to use, and what does it mean to use someone? And literally breaks it down, well he breaks it down in 25 pages, but breaks down the verb in 25 pages. Because for Pope St. John the Paul II, human dignity, human value was one, of his, was one of his key characteristics in so many of his papal documents and so many of his writings. He focused on the importance of human dignity and on the importance of the human person. 
Um, now, if you're interested in love and responsibility, I'd say go for it. But there is a better book. There's a book out there, not a better book, but there's a book out there called, um, there's a book called uh, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love by Ted Shree or Edward Shree. Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. It's a small little booklet. It takes love and responsibility and breaks it down for those of us that you know have a hard time with love and responsibility. Because again, it's, it's very philosophical. Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. I have a lot of friends uh, that have used it as part of their uh, engagement. When they get engaged to their spouse, they used it and read it together um, because of the, the practical solutions and suggestions that, um, that Ted Shree gives. So treating, our, treating ourselves and others with respect, again, is the basis of all morality. And part of the, part of the moral law is the natural law. So GP2, there's the, there's the quote from, uh, on human dignity again, from as an object, the term sets him apart from every other entity in the visible world, which is an object, which is always a something. So the natural law is our participation in the divine law. Our, our, the natural law is our participation in the divine law. So there's the divine law of God, and through the natural law, we participate in the divine law. The natural law is essentially what human reason can know about human nature separate from revelation. So let me say that again, what human reason can know about human nature separate from revelation. So what has been revealed to us in the scriptures is separate, that's not the natural law, that's the revealed law. So what we know in the, in the scriptures and in tradition. And so the natural law is what our human reason can understand. Natural law teaches us what to do and what to avoid. It is the law that is known as, that's written on our hearts. On our hearts. It's the law that helps us uh, begin to form our consciences properly and correctly. The natural law focuses on preserving life, developing as individuals and communities, and then sharing life with others. So it talks about the preservation of life, developing as, ourselves, as individuals, living also in a community, and then sharing our life with others. The natural law is something that seems to reveal itself naturally and respects the nature of things. The natural law is also unchanging in any time or place. So our understanding of the natural law does not change. It does not, it didn't, you know, it, it was the same as it was for, during the time of Moses, during the time of our Lord, a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, up to today. The, the natural law does not change. However, because of our fallen nature, at times our vision of the natural law can be stored it. So even though original sin is washed away from our souls at baptism. So those of you that are not baptized, when you receive baptism on the Easter Vigil, not only will original sin be washed away, but personal, personal sin and original sin, there still remains that residue from, that, um, from the original sin that remains on our soul. And that, that fallen nature, again, it distorts us in all, in all things, in our understanding of the natural law, but also even within, within the understanding of sin and what sin does to us and how it distorts our, our vision. Um, over the weekend, I actually was watching parts of uh, The Return of the King, uh, the Lord of the Rings series, and, and um, Gollum and his fascination with the ring. Um, you know, and at the end, he, at the end, if you've done, well, if you've never seen it, I'm ruining it for you, but hopefully you've seen it. Um, but at the end, he finally, I'll just say, he finally gets the ring and it's in his hand, but he doesn't realize he, he's also in molten lava and about to die. But he's so fascinated, he's so, in, you know, and the ring, the ring in the Lord of the Rings is, um, is a representation and a symbol for, for sin. 
and what it can do to us, because you see what it does to um, what it does to Frodo throughout the and to other human beings that interact with it. So our fallen nature can always distort uh, all things. The old law and the new law. So the old law is what's given to us in the in the ten, in the Old Testament, and the new law, what's given to us by Jesus Christ, can help uh, and often does build upon the natural law. So the old, the old law, specifically the old law is known as the law of Moses. It is the first of all the revealed law. The Ten Commandments, which we'll talk about as the Decalogue soon, summarizes the moral prescriptions of the old law. So our, the first revealed law is the Ten Commandments. Um, so really before the time of Moses, there, was no, there wasn't really a moral code per se as we see in the Old Testament. So people will say, well, they, you know, they violate like Adam and Eve and some of the patriarchs might have violated the moral law. Well, the, there was no real moral law on the books per se or in stone uh, until the Ten Commandments are revealed to us. Still as Christians today and as Catholics, we still hold the commandments to be sacred because they're holy, good, and they're spiritual. Um, I have a lot of friends in the past that have said to me, well, we should just get rid of the Ten Commandments because Jesus uh, has given us this new law. Well, no, as we're going to see, Jesus fulfills the Ten Commandments. He makes them complete. Uh, that's why, you know, for us, as Lita gave you guys that the examination of conscience, it focuses on the Ten Commandments because, again, as Christians, we see them as holy, as good, and as spiritual. Now, what's different between the old law and the new law of Jesus Christ is the old law, and nothing in the Old Testament gives us grace. Uh, the old law would be fulfilled by Jesus through the Beatitudes. Uh, so the old law anything in the Old Testament, it points to the new, but anything that's, anything, any, any of the, um, like the sacrifices in the Old Testament, um, even though it's point, like sacrifice might be pointing to the Eucharist, those Old Testament sacrifices and that Old Testament law and the, and the revealed law does not give us grace. It's only in the new law and through the sacraments that we receive that grace and they are fulfilled. Jesus speaks very highly uh, in a variety of places uh, in the scriptures, and he focuses very highly on the Ten Commandments. And he talks about these different places in the scriptures that he focuses and says that the, the, com the commandments are important. So our Lord understands the importance of the commandments. The Ten Commandments are often known as the Decalogue, which I said before, that's Decalogue means ten words. Uh, and they are revealed to Moses by God. They're found in two places in the scriptures. Exodus 20, 1 through 17, which is probably the most common place that we think about the Ten Commandments because that's, you know, from the clip we saw of Mel, of Mel Brooks from History of the World. That's what we think, okay? And if you guys saw that first slide I had, that was Charlton Heston, okay? Okay, and I thought showing you that clip would make you laugh and was more funny. Uh, then, then the original, you know, Charlton Heston is dum, 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 you know, the whole, it's like very dramatic and Hollywood for the 1950s. And, uh, you know, it's, it's in the, in the, in the graphics are really bad. So, uh, like, yeah, like there was no such thing as CGI back then. So, um, so showing you that, but that's, that's, that's what we think of the, 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 the law. When we think of the Ten Commandments, we always think of, oh, that's an exodus. But not only is it an exodus, we also see it in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5, uh, as 6 through 22. And because Deuteronomy is known as the second law, it's where we, where we receive a lot of the other laws uh, that, 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 the, that the Jews uh, were to follow. So the Ten Commandments are given to the Israelites as part of the Mosaic Covenant. So if you remember one of my, I think it was the first night I came in to speak to you guys, we talked about the different covenants. Uh, Moses, oh, that was actually the second night. The Mosaic Covenant, which is Exodus 19 through 24, the Ten Commandments are part of the Mosaic Covenant. When Jesus says that he will fulfill the law and not abolish it, 
It's these laws that he speaks of. So in Matthew 5, 17, he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So these are the laws that he's fulfilling. The laws that he doesn't fulfill are all of those laws that Moses ends up adding after the original Ten Commandments because the Israelites kept doing stuff that they weren't supposed to do. So Moses wrote all of these laws that were specifically prescri- and then and, and then once Jesus comes, all those laws are wiped away because Christ fulfills, he wipes out those laws because those laws were there to... Um, kind of, uh, how do I say this? Like, they were doing things, it was simply, they were doing things they shouldn't be doing, and Jesus just wipes out all those laws. But he fulfills the Ten Commandments. Um, We see them fulfilled completely with the Beatitudes. So if if you take the Ten Commandments and you put them next to the Beatitudes, there is a similarity between the Beatitudes and the Commandments. Uh, and in the sense that the Beatitudes completely fulfill the commandments. But all of those laws, there's a ton of them that Moses had to kept, keep writing because the Israelites just would not, would not, uh, would not respect them. So, so when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, this is what he's talking about, specifically the Ten Commandments. The Catholic Church has always viewed the Ten Commandments with high honor and respect, and as Catholics, we are to be, they are to be kept with diligence and never just options. There's a reason why they're always capitalized as the Ten Commandments, because they are commandments for us to follow. They're not advice. They're not suggestions. Well, I'm going to suggest this to you, okay? And it's not psychological babble either, okay? It's actually their, you know, it's the Ten Commandments for a reason, because they're there for us to follow, and we are to, if we're going to be followers of Christ and, you know, and of the Trinity as a whole, then following the commandments is key and important. The Ten Commandments, because they are part of the natural law, they're essentially the, the concrete form of the natural law, these are the commandments that are, these, these laws are written on our hearts as the natural law is written on our hearts. The first three, they show us how to love God. So the first three commandments, one, two, and three, and we're going to go through that, that, that yellow sheet that you guys have in a little bit. So the first three teach us how to love God specifically, and then four through ten teaches us how to love our neighbor. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to live a life of prayer through the sacraments and keeping the commandments. So again, even though Christ has fulfilled the Ten Commandments, we still see them as sacred, holy, good, spiritual. We have high respect for them. And again, in in your possession, you have an an examination of conscience that is based on the Ten Commandments. Now, for a lot of you that, you know, that may never have gone to confession before uh, and, have gone, and are, and are going to go for the first time, using that examination, I will say, is an excellent way to help you examine your conscience. But as you grow in your faith, okay, you'll, not, you'll, 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 you'll know those sins because, let me tell you, I've been going to confession for years, and I say the same sins over and over again in the confessional, because I realize, I learn, you know, now there are certain things I've, I've, I've uh, fought off in years past, but the, the, using that examination for the first time, if it's been a long time, it does help and it is beneficial, but as you grow in your faith, you, you still use it, but you may not necessarily need to need to use it as as you grow, just in the sense that because you you learn what it is and you, you'll learn them you'll learn how to examine on your own. Okay, so we have our Lord as the moral guide. Uh, Jesus as the moral guide is also contained with all of this. So as I said, the Ten Commandments are unchanging in any time or place. And for Christians, Jesus is the perfect norm for, for upright living. He's the fullest expression of God's emptying or self-emptying love. Uh, he is our example. So um, we follow the examples of the saints, of the Blessed Mother, but we also should follow the example of our Lord himself. 
Uh, that love, that self-emptying love, we see that on the cross. Uh, he, you know, it's not the wrath of God that Jesus is on the cross, but it's the, it's the, he's there to show us and symbolize and, and show us the, what it is to love and what it means to uh, have self-emptying love. Romans 13, 14, St. Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, what that means is that we need to become other Christs. We need to become Christs to the world. Uh, if it helps you symbolize, take like a costume that you would put on and, uh, and you put, you know, you put on, not that it's a costume, but you literally put it over your head and you tighten it down to your shoes, you know, and you become, we, be, we need to become Jesus. And, and uh, Father Will, a couple of years ago for Halloween, was the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Um, and it was this massive costume. And we were talking about how somebody brought it up and like, that's what it means, you know, putting on Jesus. You know, he put on the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Uh, but it was like the idea of putting on, you know, our Lord in a, in a, in a way that Father Will put on that costume. St. Francis of Assisi says that we are to become little Christs, not just other Christs, that, but we are to be called little Christ, that we are called out to the world to be like our Lord. When our lives are incorporated with the life of Christ, it's then do we live a moral life. Um, when, we're, you know, when, you're, when you're practicing your faith, when you're exercising your faith, when you're living a sacramental life, you're able to re get to the sacraments of reconciliation and Holy Communion. It's then that our lives become more conformed to our, the, the moral life. We're living better lives when, um, when our life is incorporated and focused on Jesus. Um, and I can tell you from personal experience that when my life is not in a moral, not in a good moral state, or I'm struggling in that area, it's because I'm struggling with everything else. And it focuses on not, not, living, not having a prayer life, um, not going to the sacraments. Um, you know, so when you become Catholic, those of you that aren't Catholic yet, going through the RCIA process, and when you receive those sacraments, you know, don't just go to confession, you know, maybe a week before the Easter vigil and then not go again. Uh, and not go for a year. You know, make it a priority, and you guys will hear this in the weeks to come with reconciliation, um, and Father Will will probably go through it again with you. Make it a priority to go at least once a, once a month um, because if you practice that, if you practice your faith uh, and you live it and you're living the sacramental life, your life will then morally will be, will be uh, better and, and, and equipped. In Jesus' teachings in the gospel, there are certain themes that are present uh, that he focuses on. Uh, and it's, he focuses on the kingdom of God, that God's love, a reign of peace and justice breaking into the world. Uh, he also talks about repentance uh, and metanoia, like a, a metanoia is a uh, conversion of both heart and mind. It's a changing of both our heart and mind. Uh, reforming of our hearts, minds, and wills to God. So I would add that, hearts, minds, and wills to God. He focuses on faith as an acceptance, a yes of God's total unconditional love for us. Uh, unconditionally accepting God's will for us um, is abandonment. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theme of Lent. It's actually one of the themes we're going to hear during the Lenten mission is uh, Father Brian Malady, who's our mission director, is going to focus on what it means to abandon ourselves uh, to God. And we're actually going to be reading a book uh, on Tuesday mornings for three weeks called Into Your Hands, Father, uh, as part of the Adult Faith Formation series that focuses, again, on abandonment and, and giving that unconditional love to God and that yes. The essential message for living a good moral life is that I give you, as, as, as Jesus says in John 13, 14, um, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So you should also love one another. 
That's the essential message for now, living a good moral life. I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, so you should also love another. Jesus' Jesus's love is a self-giving and self-emptying love, a love that serves. Love is not warm and fuzzy for Jesus, but love for Jesus is loving our enemies. Yes, loving our enemies even when, even, even when it hurts. Uh, he loves in a way that he gives his life for us, and he loves us through the Holy Eucharist. We are called to love and serve the Lord. So, you know, I think we live in a world where love becomes, again, fuzzy and warm feelings or heart-shaped red balloons so uh, women can receive flowers and chocolates and gifts on a day that's coming up, okay? That's not love, okay? I went in the fries last night. I wanted to poke all those stupid balloons that were, I was just like, ah, oh, not this nonsense. And once, once New Year's Eve ended, those silly balloons started showing themselves again. It's just like can, we, like, can we celebrate something without just getting to the next holiday? But that's not what love is. It's not, it's, it's, it's a dying to oneself. It's a self-emptying gift. And again, we see that best through our Lord. Again, he talks about, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill and again, to fulfill, to fulfill all these laws, um, it can mean to complete, um, but he completes them in, in a way that he brings them to conclusion. So the Ten Commandments are complete, but he brings them to a conclusion. Um, and then the third thing that our Lord focuses on is also to fill up, um, to fulfill one's potential. Uh, all that all that you can be we've heard that kind of a, as a military um, and Jesus does this with the respect uh, with with respect to a lot of the Old Testament to fill up so he completes the laws uh, fill, you know uh, and completes them in a way that they've never been completed before um, and you know there's a lot of similarities between our Lord and Moses Moses goes up to the Mount of Sinai and received the law of God so does our Lord, so does Jesus also go up the mountain uh, and to uh, give us the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew, in, in, in Matthew we see this understanding of the, it's known as the teaching gospel. And 5, 6, and 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, a lot of that reflects what Moses did. So Moses goes up, receives the law of God. Jesus himself goes up and actually receives and gives us the new law, which is the Beatitudes. So even though, you know, in the movies it doesn't portray Moses uh, sitting, but when Moses gives the new law to the Israelites and teaches to them, he more than likely sits. And that's what Jesus does as well. Uh, we also see Solomon goes up the mountain of Zion, and what he does is he pours out wisdom from the God to the people. So we see this as well with Jesus as sitting and going up to the mountain and giving wisdom to us in the, in the new law. Uh, law and wisdom are related because they are essentially what gives us the natural law. The law of, of the law of the prophets and that of Solomon, that wisdom is an exposition of the natural law. And the law gives us the freedom, not slavery, uh, and this freedom leads us to happiness. Um, so this focusing on next week, you guys are focused more on the moral understanding, the moral teachings and the social teachings of the church where this understanding of what the law gives us is that it gives us freedom and not slavery. So, you, you'll, you know, you might have said this yourself some point. You'll, you'll have family members or friends that'll say that, oh, the church has way too many laws. I can't be myself and I can't be free. But the more we're, the more we die, the more we uh, die to, to, those, to, to all of that that's out there and all of those sins, the more we do become free because what sin does is sin enslaves us and it allows us um, to not be ourselves and it distorts us to understanding that our freedom, what we, what we can truly be as human beings is, is if we follow the law of God, if we're, we can truly be free. 
And then it's through the sacraments and through the grace that we receive that perfects our nature. We are then able to follow and obey God's laws. That's the beauty of the sacraments. It gives us the grace to be open to God's law, to be, to be open to God's love, God's freedom, God's laws. It allows us to, to that. Uh, now, can we resist that grace? Yeah, for sure. That grace can be pushed off. We can hold, you know, we can, we can kind of make it like block it in a sense and not be open to it. But that's why the sacraments are so important. That's why living, Father Will talked about sacramental worldview, having a sacramental life. That's why the sacraments are so important because it perfects our nature. It takes our sinful nature and perfects it. Okay, so the first commandment, we're going to focus on the first, I'm going, to, I'm going to go through all 10 of them with you, but we're going to focus on the first one kind of in some great detail here, just because the first commandment is the first commandment. It's like numero uno, you know, it's, you know, it's the big kahuna uh, in a sense. Um, and then we'll, and then I'm going to focus on this real quickly with you, and then we'll kind of go through this, this yellow sheet. So if you don't have this yellow sheet out, uh, take that out, and we'll, we'll go through that uh, together too. So the first commandment, uh, I am the Lord your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. Um, and in your, on your yellow sheet, it says, the commandment calls us to have faith in God as he truly is and not to have a diminished or warped view of him. With this true faith, we live a life of graciousness, loving response to God's never-ending love for us. What are the sins that are pertaining to this? In the sin of idolatry, we make someone, ourselves or others, or something, success, possessions, and pleasures, the ultimate goal for our lives rather than God. Now, I will say this. The so we talk about idolatry. So what is idolatry? Idolatry focuses also in superstition, divination, magic, irreligion, and humanism. So idolatry is the worship of false gods. Now, some people worship Satan uh, as well. So you get people that worship false gods even today, but there is a worship of Satan that is occurring as well. Other idols, specifically maybe towards us, would be money, power, popularity, uh, sexual desires. Um, these are created goods, but when they're distorted, they can enslave a person. So there is, there is that, so like, you know, money in and of itself is a good thing. It's a created good. It helps us live. But when our, all of all we're thinking of is how much I have and what I have and what possessions I have, then it becomes where it then dives into idolatry. What also is part of the first commandment is superstition. Faith in God says he is in control. Superstition is that false religious practices through objects or words can bring a desired outcome. You see this often with athletes have superstitions, okay? Play with a certain glove, do something the same way over and over again, like jumping over the first baseline, okay, and never touching the line. Um, I had a buddy that was, on a, was, a, was a professional uh, pitcher and he, was on a, and he was a relief pitcher but he was on a streak of not giving up any runs. He did not change, he did not wash socks for like a good three weeks, okay? Because he felt like those socks, okay? Okay, and that's not a good thing to have. So having those superstitions, okay, that's not a good thing, okay? If not only for the guys in the locker room smelling those nasty socks for three weeks, okay? But it's also saying, I'm, you know, not that God's in control, but that, that I put myself in control. Divination. Divination seeks to unveil what God wants hidden. Hidden, excuse me, that's the occult. Um, forms of divination is calling upon Satan and evil spirits, conjuring the dead, horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, consulting mediums, okay, or witch doctors, and Ouija boards, okay? These are all parts of divination and all parts of idolatry and superstition. 
Um, everyone's, oh, you know, I want to look, I'm going to go online and look at my horoscope or worry about my sign, okay? It's, it's something that we need to avoid. People will say, oh, it's just entertaining. It's just fun. I just want to see what it has to say. We need to avoid those kind of things. Those are the things as Catholics we need to kind of stay away from because, oh gosh, you know, or, you know, like the, uh, what is it, you watch on TV late at night, you see the, uh, the um, California, um, what are they called? Like the California psychics, you know? Ooh, she knew exactly what happened. Yeah, because they're part of the occult, okay? And, they're, and, they're, and there's a reason why they can understand and, and understand what's going on in on your life and see what's going on in your life. Um, so all of that stuff, we, you know, if you've been to it before uh, and you didn't know, it's one thing. But if, if you continue to go to it, all that palm reading, consulting, mediums, okay, witch doctors usually make things 10 times worse, okay? They just do. Uh, I had a woman in my office probably two years ago who said that her daughter was dealing with, you know, she got involved in a, in a certain, I'll just say it's a certain California university, um, uh, which has been on the news recently. Um, so, okay, in the hills of Oakland. Um, so, okay. But the daughter went there and got involved in some weird stuff. Got involved in some, I mean, this is a, this is a, a young girl who grew up Catholic all her life, received all her sacraments, went away to college and then got involved in some strange things and, um, and then ended up, um, you know, attracting certain spirits, you want to say, okay? Instead of going to a, coming to the church first, they ended up going to Mexico and going to see these witch doctors and these mediums, and things got worse for her. Um, and then finally she shows up, my, the, you know, the mother came in and said, this is what we're dealing with. What can you tell us? So I said, well, there's no way I should be dealing with this. You guys need to sit down with a priest and end up meeting, down, meeting with Father Will. So the world today will, will take this stuff very lightly. Oh, it doesn't exist. Satan doesn't exist. But let me tell you, that's exactly what Satan wants us to think. Okay, and I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but it's exactly the world in which we live. We decentralize, we, we decentralize everything, or, de, or not decentralize, desensitize, that's the right word, desensitize everything. Oh, it doesn't work, oh, that's just, that's no, that's no big deal. Oh, reading my horoscope, that's not a big deal. It's all just fun and games. It all focuses and it all breaks the Ten Commandments in, in, uh, in a sense. Magic, uh, not just the sleight of hand tricks, but those who want to gain control of the future. Again, focusing on witch doctors. Not like a magic trick, like, you know, like the sleight of hands, but magic that has to do with, um, uh, you know, with controlling, controlling the future. Examples of this are black magic, which is the use of demonic powers, which is very dangerous to the faith. Uh, spiritism, summoning the dead with mediums, sorcery. Um, the church has always warned against the practice of these since they open to the fascination with evil spirits as well. Uh, you see this if you've ever been to New Orleans, okay? Um, if you've ever visited New Orleans, part of that culture in New Orleans is always about, like, the, there's, you, you get elements of voodoo. Um, you know, and all of these practices, they contradict our belief in the one true God. The, the, um, the, so in, in, uh, in New Orleans, if you ever visit New Orleans, if you've ever been, go to the cathedral, the Catholic cathedral. You'll find in front of the Catholic cathedral all the sorcerers, witch doctors, palm reading. They all plop themselves right in front of the Catholic church. Why? Because they know that Jesus is in that church. And it's the head church for the Catholic Church. And you find them there during the day. The first time I ever saw them was at night. Um, and it was scary to go there at night and see it. But then I was there during the day, and you see it during the day as well. So they plop themselves right there because they know that our Lord is in the tabernacle, in the adoration, in the, you know, in the, in the church. Um, Father Chris has mentioned this to me before. If you take 10 
hosts, okay, that we receive uh, that are eventually consecrated, and you have one that's consecrated, someone in the occult will be able to tell you which one of those 10 hosts are consecrated or not. Because there is a, there is a uh, language, there is a communication that's happening with, the, with evil spirits that, um, that allows them to do this. Um, if you're interested in this, and I promise this book is not scary, um, even though it's black and it's got the Benedictine crucifix on the front, um, it's got this, 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 you know, this, this, dark, this dark cover, okay? Um, an exorcist explains the demonic. I'm reading this right now. This is not scary, okay? It's the theology behind it all. It's just not, okay? I've read a couple of Father Gabriel Armuth. He was the chief, uh, the, uh, chief exorcist for the Diocese of Rome for many years. Let me, now, look, if you, if you get scared by this kind of stuff, don't read it at night in bed, okay? Don't do it. Come to the Adoration Chapel during the middle of the day and read it. But I'm, t I'm, I'm telling you, it's, but, but this, he it goes through all of this, and he explains right in the beginning of this how it violates the, ten, the, te the, the first commandment. Uh, of all the commandments, it's this one that violates it. And that, huh? That is as well, yes, yeah, Father Gabriel as well, yeah. So, um, and then these are other these are other uh, things that attack the um, the first um, the uh, the first commandment is irreligion, tempting God by sacrilege and simony, uh, like paying off God. Like if you say, "Oh God, I'll give you this," uh, you know, "I'll give you this certain amount of money uh, if you give me this," or if you make you give me this sign, I'll do this. Uh, to tempt God is asking us to prove himself. Um, sacrilege is to profane or unworthy treatment of the sacrament, sacraments, especially against the Holy Eucharist. Um, you know, it's like people, we, a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we had to stop someone from, they received Holy Communion. This happened at 1130 Mass. Um, and we don't know if he, was, if he did it deliberately or what he was doing or if he didn't know what he was doing, but someone was, you know, had, had, had received the Eucharist, put it in his hands, and, and then started walking back to his seat without receiving it. That's sacrilege. That's something you've got to, you know. So def defamation, defamation of all the sacraments, but specifically the Eucharist. Um, again, the simony uh, is the buying or selling of spiritual goods, trying to buy God's grace and reconciliation, where you say, oh God, I, I will, you know, I'm going to go into reconciliation for the first time in five years, and I'm going to give $500 to the building fund, okay? And if I give $500 to the building fund, will you do that? Please do this for me. That's what that is. Uh, that's another violation of the first commandment. We also see atheism, the denial of God's existence, and this is something we're seeing more and more uh, in today's world. Agnosticism, okay, agnosticism, atheism are, are again, uh, violations of the first commandment. Atheism is not believing in God or the denial of God's existence. Agnosticism is not knowing. There's an ignorance of God's existence, and he cannot be proven. Uh, humanism is the idea that humanity is a god, that we ourselves are gods. Uh, Marxists, Marxism, communism, socialism is a man is an economic entity and can, or, you know, is an is a, is a economic entity that can be used. Um, and uh, John Paul II attacked uh, socialism and Marxist communism uh, quite a bit in, in some of his writings. Um, Freudianism, belief in God is wishful thinking. And then even materialism, the physical and material world is the only reality, and there is no spiritual sense to the world. Um, so those are all things that we, we fight today, all these isms that we fight today in the world, and we see them, they're all attacks on the first commandment. Um, so when you go in, when, if, you've ever, if you've ever done any of these, um, you know, uh, in your life, and you haven't been to confession for them yet, these are the things that we need to bring to confession. Um, now, the question comes up, now, now he says it um, quite, and I'll answer it right now before we go through the other ones, because I know someone's going to answer it, or ask it, excuse me. What about yoga? If you're, I would, he's totally against it. 
Father Gabriel Armuth is totally against it. I would say if you're doing the stretches merely for just the stretches themselves, it's one thing. But if you're entering it to, and I don't know too much about it myself because I've never done it. That's why I'm as stiff as a board, okay? But like my, my, my calves are tight as can be. But, um, but uh, because I can't touch my toes and never have been able to. So, but, but it, it, with yoga, he would say no. I'm saying if you're doing it for the stretches, it's one thing. But if you're entering it to become like those Hindu gods, which are all the, the yoga po uh, poses and positions, and if you're entering it that way, then yeah, then it's a problem. So you can do the stretches as a stretch, um, you know, for the stretch purpose, but if you're entering into the whole practice of yoga, it then it does, yeah, because you, you, you start to get into polytheism. You start to get into worshiping other, other gods. Um, I remember being, yes, at a Catholic retreat center for a silent retreat, a self-conducted uh, self silent retreat, okay? I'm not going to say where it was. It wasn't in this diocese, but it was close. Um, on a, in a Catholic retreat center, and there was a yoga retreat going on that whole weekend I'm there, I mean, some of the weirdest things I've ever seen and heard. I mean, it was, it was, it was weird. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, I, when I, and I'm not being overdramatic when I say this, but demonic was the one word that first came to mind. I said, this is just kind of creepy and weird. So I happened to be there when they were there. And it was just kind of strange. So, um, so there's that. And then, um, now I like the movies. I'll personally tell you I like the movies, but I've never read the books. Harry Potter, all those movies about magic. He says, Father Gabriel Armuth says, no, avoid it. Avoid having your kids read them. Now, look, we can have an argument and a discussion about it. I've seen all the movies and they're entertaining. But there are stuff in the books that there are like some of the, some of the, um, the spells that he will argue does release things into the air as we say them or as someone says them. So um, take, it, take it, you know, it's, it's up to you. It's your decision. Again, I've said, and I'm publicly saying on this recording, that I've seen all the movies, and they're entertaining and they're fun to watch. I was watching the, uh, the last one, part, the last one of part two last night when I got home. But after that terrible Super Bowl, but... Um, uh, but, but, um, but yeah, I was watching it. So, but again, that's the type of magic that he's talking about. Not sleight of hand tricks, but that type of releasing. Because in the in the Harry Potter books, I've never read them, but I have a lot of I have a lot of practicing friends that are practicing Catholics that have read them, that love them. Um, you know, their students read them. My friends that are teachers, um, but there are with those spells. Um, they are, you are releasing stuff. They, I mean, he, he argues that the stuff is being released. Uh, spirits and different things are being conjured up when you say some of those spells. Um, I, I had a friend that's an English teacher said, my students have read them, but when they get to those, they get to those parts of the books where you see the spells, just don't say those, you know, just don't say those spells out. Don't even say them, just kind of, just look at them and kind of move, move on and go from there. So, um, but he does say avoid it just because it does conjure up such things. Okay, so let's just kind of briefly go through. So that, that's kind of a, f a bigger version of number one than you guys are, got. but I give that to you because number one's very important. And these are things that we face and we see in our world all the time. And these are things that we have to avoid. Um, I mean, Ouija boards, that's a whole nother thing. I remember playing with a Ouija board as a, as a child and being creeped out by it as a child. I remember using it when I was, a friend of mine had it when we were like 10 or 11 years old, and it creeped me out. There was something that did not sit right with me. I would beg to differ. I would, I would say now that the natural law that was written on my heart, something there was telling me, this is no bueno, not good, okay? It's just not good. Um, at the time, I couldn't put it into those words. But now, as an adult, and understanding my faith the way I do, being able to teach it to you as well, I could say something did not sit right with me. And I was 10 years old. So, 
Um, okay, let's just briefly kind of go through the rest of the commandments here. So you shall not take the Lord's name, the Lord your God uh, in vain. Um, I will say this publicly, and I've said it for three years. This is taking the Lord's name in vain, as, as Lita said before, OMG. Uh, that's the least of the taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, if you say or it's in your vocabulary to say GD, okay, or JC, you got you to gotta start to cut that out of your vocabulary. And I'm not going to say those words. And I'll say this publicly. You are better off dropping an F-bomb when you get upset over something than taking the, the Lord's name in vain. And I say this because I struggled with this 20-something years ago. And I learned to take all of that vocabulary out of my... Because you're condemning and you're, 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 you know, you're blaspheming God's name. It's, you're saying it in a baneful way. If you say Jesus, you know, I say, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ or, or I invoke Jesus' name in prayer, it's one thing. But to say GD or Jesus Christ in a way that is vainful and angry and upset because you stubbed your toe or someone cut you off in a car or something happened and you say that, it's you've got to start to alleviate and, and get that out of your um, out of your vocabulary. Yes. What, what about the deviations of it? Like, uh, oh my God. Yes. I. Yeah. I just. Yeah. What? I've never heard of that as a deviation of that. So, um, yeah, I would just learn to say, I mean, I mean, I say, oh my gosh, but, and I have friends that don't, that teach their children not even to say that because it's too close to, oh my God. Okay. So I've never heard the G whiz. It's, I hear G whiz. I think of, uh, of, uh. Ron, no, Ron, Ronnie Cunningham, what's his name? Uh, Opie, Opie, Opie Taylor from, uh, I, hear, I think Opie Taylor when I think of, G, but I've never heard of that before, so. Yeah, I've never heard that, so, okay. All right, um, okay, so number three, remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Uh, the sin of irreverence includes neglecting to give God the worship owed to him, at least on Sunday, um, each week, as well as failing to acknowledge his primary primacy over the concerns of our lives. So keeping the Lord's Day holy, going to Mass as Catholics, okay? It's simple. Getting to Mass every week, keeping the day, you know, keeping it holy, uh, you know, not doing work that uh, is not needed. It's, um, you know, avoiding, avoiding work that is not necessarily Need, needful uh, just to do work. It should be a day of rest. We should keep the day holy. Um, the Lenten, the Lenten uh, video series that we're going to be promoting soon focuses on worship, focusing what does it mean to worship, and that's a big part of the, the third commandment. Honoring your mother and father, uh, children of all ages sin against the commandment through disrespect, disobedience, or neglect. Um, this also for us is how do we respect those people that are in authority that are over us? So as te let's say, t let's take for example, teachers. How do you respect the authority of your principal or your assistant principal? Do you respect them or do you kind of just, you know, you know, say they're nuts all the time or they're, I'm not going to follow what they're saying. Oh, it's the administration, okay, versus the teachers. That's, um, so... Um, so yeah, so that's, that's for us is also that, uh, that authority. Um, you shall not kill. Okay. Everyone goes directly to murder. Okay. But there's more to that. Okay. Taking the innocent human life, which includes abortion and euthanasia and the disrespect for human life are sins against the commandment since they, since they display a lack of love for God or others. In addition, when Christians deliberately violate this commandment or seduce others to evil, the sin of scandal is involved. When you scandalize someone on purpose, um, that is also part of the fifth commandment. The, you, number six, you shall not commit adultery. Um, 
Every sexual act performed within or outside of marriage which does not uh, respect the sacredness of the marital consent and the moral values of the sexual act is a sin against this commandment. There it says right there exactly, and I know there's, there's, there's children in earshot of my voice, so I'm not gonna say some of those that are on there, but um, premarital relations, adultery, it's not just adultery, there's more to it than just adultery. Um, uh, contraception, uh, I mean, there's all of that. Um, uh, all of that's, that's there is essentially, all of that is a violation of the, of the, of the, the Sixth Commandment. Um, I would say more, but like I said, I know there's children in earshot of my voice. All right, number seven, you shall not steal. The dignity of the human person is rooted in the fact that men and women are created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, every violation of a human person's rights is a sin against this commandment. Sinful, too, is the failure to share our economic and natural resources with those who are in need. So it's a violation of the human person's rights, um, and it's not just stealing, this, um, not just stealing, but it's also stealing someone's rights away. Number eight, uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor because we establish relationships with others based on our spoken and written word. Deception using the same words by lying and speaking in ways which are destructive of the human, human dignity, slander, uh, calumny, uh, detraction, insults, uh, divulging secrets. You know what's also tied into this? Gossip. That's a big one. Um, we, all we all struggle with it. Um, and it's something that it's, it's just kind of, again, we, we de it's desensitized. Um, you know, it's one thing to speak about someone objectively, but once you start to slander them, once you start to talk badly about them, that's where this commandment comes into play. Number eight, number nine, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. Sins against this commandment take the form of lustful thoughts more than, more than bodily behavior. So it's not just bodily behavior, but it's thinking about doing it. Uh, Jesus referred to this type of sin when he warned against committing adultery in the heart of a, by looking at a woman lustfully. And then not, uh, 10, excuse me, you shall not cover your neighbor's goods. Greed, the desire to amass goods. Avarice, a passion for riches. Envy, an immoderate desire to obtain another's goods are the sins against this commandment. So these, you know, we think about how we, how our lives maybe aren't fulfilled in a certain way and we're envious of someone else. That's a violation of this commandment. So like if I've gone, like I've gone into confession before and, 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 have, struggled, and have struggled with envy, envy before, um, when I say that to the priest, I don't necessarily say, you know, oh, the 10th commandment specific, you can. But I know, I know that I've struggled with that before. I just say what the sin is. But it is a violation against uh, that, that commandment. So, and then just so you guys, I don't know, if, I don't know when the night on reconciliation, but there's two, two there's, when we focus on sins, there's venial sins and then there's mortal sins. And mortal sins are grave matter. They're full knowledge of the evil act and their full consent of the will. So it's, it's a, you know, there's a, gra there's a graveness to it. Um, the difference between a venial and mortal sin, let's use the, let's use the example of our bones or, uh, or our, with our bodies. A venial sin is like a bruise, okay? It's something that can be healed very quickly. Our venial sins, those lesser sins, are usually when you go to mass, or not usually, but when you go to mass and you say the penitential rite, you know, mea culpa, mea culpa, you know, I confess to Almighty God, mea, you know, we, we say it's my, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. That's the penitential rite. At that point, those venial sins are forgiven by God. The mortal sins, the mortal, where the venial sin is a bruise, the mortal sin is like a broken bone where it literally not just breaks our relationship with God, but it, it breaks our relationship with the entire church. So we're not united with each other. We're not united, like if I was in the state of mortal sin, I wouldn't be, my relationship wouldn't be, it'd be broken from God, but it'd also be broken from all of you that are Catholic, um, you know, or through the really, through the, or all of you that are baptized, I should say. Um, because you're all part of the, the, the mystical family of God. So I, my, my relationship with you would be broken. What needs to happen, 
with a broken bone is that it needs to be put back together and grafted back together. Or like essentially we have to be grafted back onto God. Um, so that's the difference. Now there's, you know, venial sins um, are, those, are those lesser sins that, we, um, that aren't of grave matter. Um, the Ten Commandments, there are elements of this that are, you know, the Ten Commandments, a lot of these can be, they, they are, they're, they're grave in nature. Um, so, um, but that's the difference between uh, venial and mortal. Did, did the Father explain that to you when he talked about reconciliation? The mortal and venial sin. Okay. That's all I have for you guys tonight.